It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Subscribe to the Astros Podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day. Steve Sparks here, and I'm with Lance McCuller. Tons of interviews. Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is line in the right field, and that's going to get down for a base hit. High deep, and it's gone. A grand slam. Follow your favorite team. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Park. <laughs> For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody, to Astros Pod. I'm Steve Sparks with your Astros radio team. I'm very pleased today to be joined by Jeff Blum, who's uh, the Astros TV broadcaster, the analyst. This is episode four of Astros Pod. And Blummer, you're a pro at these podcasts, <laughs> so I had to bring you on. I appreciate that. Obviously, it's always good to be on with you, Sparky, and to be able to bring some content to the fans who are listening, you know, expecting baseball to be there. But yes, I've been very fortunate to start a podcast of my own called Bleacher Blums, and it's available on most platforms like you'll find this podcast. And we will bring, me and a good friend of mine, David Tuttle, out on the West Coast, will bring you some good sports stories, some fun enjoyment, but obviously a lot of emphasis on what the Astros are going through, like uh, we do here on the Astros podcast cast trying to give you the best but sparky man i love being on with you dude i appreciate it so for you and david you guys have done what 60 70 podcasts now what is it yeah we're right around the mid 60s range and uh, if you go back far enough uh, and listen to some of the early ones you'll you'll see a distinct difference in how much better we've gotten we've become really? a little more com- yeah i've become a little more comfortable uh, a little more opinionated and obviously the topics in the last maybe four or five months have been pretty interesting to talk about but uh, fun nonetheless so when you're talking about opinionated uh when did that surface the most is it when uh, the astros are going through their scandal yeah, you know what? It really it kind of peaked at that moment, and I think it's kind of interesting for a guy like uh, David Tuttle, who works with me on this. Is you know he's kind of a he doesn't have that voice that you and I have, where we're on baseball every single day and we work for a specific company who's involved in this kind of controversy. So it's been kind of interesting for myself to be able to mm. kind of try and be the calming voice or the you know, the voice of mediation, kind of giving both sides of what's going on. But yes, it's been interesting to say the least least trying to handle a situation knowing that I work for a team who's in the middle of a controversy but I believe it's also a controversy that affects all of baseball so it's not just specific to one team all right Blummer we got a hall of famer with us today it's one of your really good buddies and I've I've just been honored to get to know him better and better uh, throughout the last 15 years or so and uh, we get a chance to have Jeff Bagwell on that's going to be fun it's going to be a blast. Anybody who listens to uh, your interviews with him on the radio or listens to our broadcast with him in the booth, you know it's never going to be a dull moment, and he's always going to offer a lot of insight and have a good time. Is it gloves on or off for you, too? 
It's off. No, it's we, off. We got past, oh yeah, we we got past that point, and uh, he takes digs at me, and I bring up analytics to him during the broadcast, and it gets out of control sometimes. I feel bad for TK. You you should feel bad for TK. So uh, <laughs> let it rip, and we'll let Matt Bolts, our engineer, figure it out uh, what to edit. And uh, with that, without further ado, we'll we'll bring on Jeff Bagwell, the Hall of Famer. And Baggy, I want you to hear this clip real quick. This happened. Uh, uh, at some point in your career, I want, to, I want to see if you can pinpoint the day that this came on. Now Jeff Bagwell for his first at bat at Enron Field with ball one. Jeff with a marvelous spring coming off a 42 home run, 126 RBI year. And in the past, spring training has not produced big numbers for Jeff, but this year has been a different story. Up the middle, and there is the first hit at Enron Field from Jeff Bagwell. That against the Yankees, Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens, you, you remember who pitched for you guys? This is the 20th anniversary, Jeff, of opening of Enron Field. And do you remember who started that ball game for you guys? Well, it wouldn't have been Shane because um, he probably no. was going to pitch opening day. How about Scott Ellerson? No, I, I mean, it's a tough one. It's Doc Gooden. Oh, my God. You know what? I did know that. Isn't that crazy? Uh, so, so yeah. Doc pitched that first game. And when you first went to uh, Enron Field, and we've always heard the stories when, when guys got off the bus after spring training and the pitchers went out there and Lima goes crazy. What was your <laughs> thoughts after playing in the Astrodome for all those years to see Enron Field, which, of course, is now Minute Maid Park in the inviting left field wall? Well, honestly, I, I went up to Jerry Hunsaker and I said, you sure you don't want to renegotiate my contract before the season? <laughs> you um, really did that, huh? I swear I did. Yes, I did. What was it like? I mean, it, you came from such a, a cavernous ballpark. Uh, was Did it make you uh, kind of create some bad habits trying to pull the ball? No, it didn't. Well, the first thing is is how beautiful the ballpark is and still is to this day. Yeah. Uh, to, go, to go from the Astrodome to that was incredible. Um, actually, what happened is because I think because pitchers got so scared of that left field porch that nobody pitched in anymore. So what I did is I changed my stance a little bit to hit the ball to right field in the air more because I could reach right field too. Um, I figured I could pull the breaking ball. And, and for me, anybody could pull a fastball or pull a ball. Um, but it's the guys that could hit the ball the other way and hit it with power in that ballpark because you didn't want to hit at the center because that was no man's land. Was it 436? Right, yeah, um, it was. But straightaway right and left field obviously were short. Blummer, do you find yourself wondering why guys don't move around on the box and make adjustments as much as they used to? Um, absolutely. I think that was one of the things that I learned early on in my career, just in how guys were pitching me, is that I couldn't be in the back of the box because the changeup was carving me up. So I had to scoot closer to the pitcher and get on top of the plate and kind of create the outside corner as the middle part of my plate. And the only guy I've really seen do that, you know, Altuve moves all over the place as it is, but Alex yeah. Bregman is a guy who I've had a conversation with and asked him, I'm like, why are you on top of the dish? And he said that he was struggling with the slider. So I see guys making those adjustments to the pitches, but I don't, uh, I haven't seen anybody make adjustments to the ballpark as far as where they stand in the box like Baggy's talking about right now when they first moved to Minute Maid Park. I want to talk to you guys about is the, is the passing of one of our favorite baseball players last Thursday. Uh, the toy cannon, Jimmy Wynn, passed away at 78. Uh, you guys have any special memories of Jimmy? You know, Jimmy Wynn uh, not only was a great baseball player, 
but one of the finest human beings I have ever met. I've known Jimmy since I first came up in 1991, and I could not even imagine to describe how much of a, a great person Jimmy is and so supportive, mm. uh, you know, and a guy, you know, he, you know, obviously I played in the Astrodome and knowing he had balls in the upper decks with the size that Jimmy was and, um, you know, think other things that he can do that people don't know, like he stole bases, um, you know, doubles and triples. He did all that stuff. Uh, just a great player that, you know, kind of got lost a little bit in being in Houston where we're not a big media market, but, just a hell of a player, but certainly just a, a much better person. As you go out on some of these caravans or some of these community events, and you sit now sit down next to Jimmy Wynn, and all I had heard was the name and the toy cannon, and then you meet him, and he's just this perfectly affable, beautiful, wonderful man who is uh, yep. uh, communicating with you and telling stories, and you get to know him a little bit more, and then you fall in love with the guy, Jimmy Wynn, and it wasn't until I got in the booth and we started to celebrate a little bit of Jimmy Wynn's, you know, accomplishments through the years. And you start putting numbers in context with video and see how great that guy actually was on the field. Yeah, and right. it made what Jimmy Wynn as a person was that much more impressive. Because if I'm hitting tanks, you know, out of Crosley Field on the highways or I'm going <laughs> yeah. over the, four seven, over the yeah. 475 marker in Pittsburgh, I'm going to come back and talk a little trash. But Jimmy was always like, hey, I just love the game and you know created a uh, you know incredible amount of bat speed and connected a couple times but man that dude he was a powerful player yes he was well said john mcclain wrote in the chronicle that he remembered one time telling his dad when he went to uh to see jimmy win when he was a kid he said he looked like he could play on his little league team he couldn't believe it <laughs> you know once he got pretty close to uh, listening to gene elston and lowell pass talk about what a what a powerful player he was. And to see him up close, he told his daddy he looked like he could play on his Little League team. No doubt. I mean, it's kind of like when you meet Altuve. It's it like, is. It, it, is that the best nickname that you've ever heard for for an Astro former player? The Toy Cannon? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. That's perfect for him. And like Bummy was saying, those tape measure shots, hitting that ball in the dome, Crosby Field and all that. Um, you know, and guys back then, you know, they swung like, 35 inches yeah. and 35 ounce bats, big, big bats for a little guy like that. So uh, very impressive. So you guys were talking that uh, b- before we went on air, you were talking about Jeff's Moss and, and, and Blummer. You're, you're kind of known for your hair, but you're saying it's, it's, it's out of whack right now. What's going on? Well, you know, apparently, you know, depending on who you ask on what are essential services, if you saw my hair right now, <laughs> you, you, you would say that the essential service needs to be a salon that I could go in and get a haircut because it's a little, I could, I could move into the front yard of my house right now and I just blend right into the, you know, front yard camouflage with the bush I've got on top of my skull. So yeah, one of the, uh, one of the uh, lost arts and one of the things that I'm finding out that uh, there's not enough product number one in the house to tame this thing and the other thing is i need to cut this thing down eventually so it's been a little rough dealing with that baggy you're not averse to just letting it go either are you yeah it's, it depends on how you, what part of my life you're in but yeah it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pro- it's a problem right now and it's there's really really nothing i can do about it. i got i got a piece of hair right here in the living room and another one down in the in the bedroom so i mean <laughs> It's, it's got a long, it's got long wingspan. I put it that way. Hey, you, have you guys been watching some of the uh, old baseball replays on TV in the last week or so? 
Oh, I never saw the Kerry Wood strikeout game. I worked out to that for two hours. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, "You got." She was downstairs in the house. I said, "Go ahead and watch that thing. It's only three. It's only three at bats. The game goes by in about 14 minutes." Uh, but that's it is what impressive. I, that's what I was going to bring up. But it looked like a wiffle ball, didn't it? That's the first time you ever saw the replay. No, God, no. I, I'm going to tell you a story about that real quick. I, by yeah. the way, I was on the phone with Dave Clark the entire time where we're doing that. He was so mad. <laughs> he was so mad that, that that was his first start in five weeks. And I said, "Don't matter." No. Bro. I said, "You could have been playing every five every day, and you still would have struck out three times." The game ended, and I remember Tony Eusebio in about the seventh looked at me. I was at the water tank, and the and the the dugouts in in Chicago are about six feet long, so everybody's right on top of each other. And he, Subi looks at me, and goes, "Baggy." That's 15. <laughs> I go, 15? He goes, yeah, that's 15 punch outs. I said, oh, my God, we're in the seventh. And uh, so the game ends. We go to we go to Milwaukee, and I go to play golf at Black Wolf Run in Kohler, Wisconsin. We're going to go play golf. We have an off day. Uh-huh. And there's three guys at the bar, and they're laughing, and they're looking at the TV, and I'm kind of got my eyes stick at it. It's us striking out 20 times. And the guy looks down at me. He goes, oh, he goes, you're Jeff Bagwell. I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I go, no, that was awesome. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. Baggy, when you watch that replay, does it compare to what you were seeing in the box? Because like uh, Sparky said, when you watch that video, it almost seems unreal, the movement he was able to create with that, the pitches that day. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, his fastball, when he was down in the bullpen, he talked about it after the game. He said, you know, I had a bad bullpen. I was all over the place. And, you know, we saw yeah. him. We heard about this kid. Like, oh, yeah, that's like 93, 94. Okay, fine. He threw the first pitch to Bidge, which the catcher missed. And I go, that ain't 93, 94. And he never let off the gas <laughs> on that thing. And that was before the radar gun. You know, in, in Chicago, there's not radar guns. You don't see that stuff. And so the spin on his breaking ball after the game was like, there is no way that a guy can get that much spin and that much movement and maintain that health. Because there has to be a lot of tweaking. You know, of course, Kerry had Tommy John at some point after that. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it was ridiculous how much that ball was breaking and at the velocity it was. You know, it's funny when you talk about information on this guy. And everybody's trying to say, did, did, did anybody face him in the minor leagues? That's where you got your information at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. But at the end of the day is, you know, you get up there and you got to take your own information. And with that stuff, these guys nowadays would have a heart attack with those pitches that they called strikes. But at the, at the same time, I'm happy I got to see it because I can say that's the greatest, greatest pitching performance I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I think it is for me, too. Um, I, I'm interested to see what you guys have to say this. And maybe I'm biased because I was a pitcher. But when I see iPads in the dugouts these days when a relief pitcher is coming in. What do you guys think about that? Obviously, you can put your eyes on them when you're on deck and time them up in that sense. But if I could actually see his delivery and see the arm angle and see the release point, that that would be – it wouldn't be game-changing, but it would be such a – it would almost be almost you know like a, a uh, comfortable blanket that you go to bed with every night. You know, it'd be nice to know and be a little more comforting and give me a little more confidence going into the box, mm-hmm. knowing that I can. I've already seen his release point a couple of times. You know, like you're talking about with these guys, even coming up from the minor leagues that you're facing for the first time, they have video on these guys now, and just yes. seeing a little bit of the delivery and the the cadence of the delivery and the arm angle, that would that would put me at a, not necessarily at ease, but it would give me a certain level of confidence, maybe saying, oh, okay, I've seen what he, you know, how the delivery is going to come at me. Now it's just a matter of picking up the baseball. I think it's a huge advantage. I do too. Baggy, you think it's fair? I think that's fine. Um, I agree with Blummy, um, and I agree with just the way that he said it. 
it doesn't need to be any more than that. Um, the more you try and grind on that, the more stuff gets put in your head. And that's what I worry about with all that stuff is the more you grind on all this stuff that you see on video and all that, that you kind of forget what you're supposed to do when you get up to home plate and that's just see the ball and then hit it. I know that sounds basic, but that's the general philosophy. But I think if what Blummy says, if you get it to see arm angle, how, how is this say, okay, give me one, one slider, give me one curveball and one changeup. I can see how that comes out of his hand and what it does. Yeah. Then I'm good to go. Uh, and then you watch the guy in front of you when you're up there. You know, I mean, you, you just do your homework. And generally, the lucky thing about the big leagues is you generally see these guys over and over again, and, and you, you don't have to see it all the time. But when there's new guys coming in all the time, you know, you want to get a little bit of a peek, and that helps. Maggie, you were talking about meeting Jimmy Wynn in 1991 for the first time. So I would imagine he had a voice in the clubhouse from time to time, like you do uh, with this current Astros team. And I'm always encouraged and impressed by by the approach that you have when you're talking to some of the hitters and you're not uh one of those types of players and I, we all know how humble you are but you're you talk about you remember how hard it was right. and you you always make sure you do that uh who was like that for you you know the big the biggest person when i came up uh that helped me the most was casey candell um who played second base for us until the experiment, which is Craig Bizio playing second base, as, <laughs> as, as Casey looked at it as. Uh, you know what? He just got me – he got me to understand the game of baseball and how to be a professional. Um, you know, at that particular time, we were a very young team, and, you know, we had traded away all our veterans, um, and we had a bunch of young guys playing in the big leagues. Um you know, Cammy had probably the most time, you know, Scotty and, and Jim Deshays were there, but they were her. They didn't play that much and they were pitchers. But other than that, we had Cammy who had probably three years. Beige had about a year and a half. Uh, and then it was Daryl Kyle, Luis Gonzalez, Tuffy Rhodes, myself. Blah, but we had a bunch of young guys playing. So, you know, just learning how to be a big leaguer, how to act, how to understand. Like uh, the last game that we played in, the first time we played in Atlanta, you could hear, you know, you could hear the buzzing of the light towers. The last day we go into go into Atlanta, you couldn't hear anything because the stands were full and they clinched for the first time against us. And I'm sitting on the top step with Casey and I could literally hear the ground shaking. And I said, I said, wow, I said, this is freaking awesome. And Casey looked straight at me. He goes, you stupid. You can fill in the blanks. This yeah. is what it's this is what it's all about. And it was just such a big statement to me that remember this is what we play for, and um, just to be able to have that is what was important to me. What were those steps that that he taught you along the way? What did you not know that that Candell taught you? Well, he he actually taught me how to run the bases a little bit better. Um, uh, he taught me that I have absolutely no say in the clubhouse at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was not allowed to pay for drinks when I we went out after games. Uh -huh. um, I don't know, just, just to be a professional, you know, you can just have your phone before and after. Yeah. And just go about baseball. Like it's supposed to be played where, you know, you got nine innings to give everything you got and lay it on the field and see what happens. And then you either cry about it, laugh about it or whatever the hell you want to do afterwards. And we'll talk about it. But that's what our job was is go out and win baseball games. And Blummer, you came to the Astros in 2002 and 2003, and you've always told me, about how what a what a privilege it was to to almost be invited into that that post game club. Can you talk about that? 
I'd love to. And I mean, you know, having Baggy on here is great because he's part of the reason that I learned about that. Now I actually know the genesis of maybe some of the thought behind Baggy doing the same things for guys yeah. in the clubhouse. You know, coming up for me with Montreal for three years in a with a team that had some guys that uh, were veterans, but they were trying to hang on. And then I came up with a bunch of young guys like Vladimir Guerrero, Jose Vidro, Orlando Cabrera, where we all came up together. And we were just trying to learn the game and play as hard as we could. And we knew we probably wouldn't finish our careers as Expos. But I get traded over to the Astros, and it was like getting called up again. And Baggy's probably tired of hearing this story, but I can't stop telling it because it's so true in the sense that I've learned how to play the game and learned how to be a professional as a Houston Astro in 2002. Because right. I rolled in, and you know the locker room, the way it was set up after I got traded over was – Biggio, Bagwell, Osmus, myself, then Brian Hunter, Billy Wagner, you know, yeah. Shane Reynolds, and on down the line. So there were some salty veterans in there that had won, that had played in all-star games, and that I knew just from watching and playing against them. And now I get to be in the clubhouse with them and watching how hard they played every day and how they adjusted every day. Because every day they weren't going to be the, the all-star Jeff Bagwell or Craig Biggio's. They were going to be guys that were maybe ailing a little bit or just weren't uh, – a hundred percent and they had to find ways to go out there and be uh, still highly effective but there was one day about two months into the season after I had said minimal in that clubhouse just because I was trying to watch and learn the environment and try and get involved a little bit yeah. and uh, it was at the end of a game in uh, in Minute Maid Park and Baggy and Osmus would usually be sitting there because they had lockers next to each other and they would be watching the West Coast games. And I, I was getting ready to say goodbye and Baggy says, hey, why don't you sit down for a little bit? And it was like somebody just offered me you know, a pot of gold and I sat down. I was like, anything you want, man, this is awesome. And all of a sudden it just kind of turned into a situation where nightly we would spend a good half an hour, 45 minutes after the game in our sliding shorts, just kind of watching the game that was on TV and then kind of rehashing some of the at-bats or maybe certain plays during the course of our game. And, uh, you know, it's talking about how it unfolded, what could have been different or what we learned from it or how we might handle it differently next time. And that's how I think you grow as a ball player right. is by having those conversations. And I am eternally grateful for that because I think it helped me as a ball player. And it also helped yeah. me uh, as far as a broadcaster to try and explain some of the situations throughout the game. Well, people ask all the time, do you miss playing baseball? And I said, well, first, I miss being good. And that was a long, long time ago. Second thing <laughs> is, most importantly, is you what Blummy's talking about, that's, that is what players miss. Yeah. Sparky, you know that. Blummy yeah. knows that. Yep. We miss hanging out with the guys and make it feel like Blummy says he sat down. Well, Blummy sat down with red hair at the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just like, you know, he came in and, you know, that's that's how you learn the game. And like, you know, you talked about, you know, when you're in the clubhouse and you have a voice, you know, I, I don't I'm not a guy that berates somebody. But like Blummy said, say, say Adam Everett would walk by. I say, Adam, come over here. And he'd sit down. I say, Adam what exactly were you thinking about when you did that? And he go, um, and I go, just what were you thinking? He goes, I said, no, you were wrong. Let me tell you exactly how this was supposed to go. Right. And that's how people learn. And you have that, that, that camaraderie that you can never, ever lose. And, and that's why guys like us, when we talk, we have this brotherhood when we talk. Uh, we've been friends forever, and it will continue to be. There. These are the special things in the game. That is that you cherish more than anything that we've ever done playing. I don't give up whatever, you know, what my stats are and all that kind of, the only thing I care about. And I truly mean this 
is it, was I a good teammate? And if people thought I was a good teammate wow. and I was accountable, I was there. I, when I stunk, I told you I stunk. When I was good, I told you how good you were. And I well, just, that's, that's how I think you're supposed to be. And that's, that's what I, I like about Altuve does that. George Springer does that. Guys like that. Bregman does that. that. That's how you become leaders in the clubhouse. And then you get this bond that never goes away. When I hear you guys talk about that, that group of players that would stick around and try to sharpen each other, I always think about Brad because I played with Brad for a little while. I got to know Brad. And we all know, we all know how witty he is. We all know how smart he is. And we, we also know how sarcastic he is. But what was yeah. he like in that little group? Well, I'm going to just quick, quickly get on that. Let Blummy talk more about it because I happen to know that guy forever. But when, salt, when Blummy said we had some salty veterans, the first thing that came to mind <laughs> yep. was Brad Osmus. Me too. No, that's the truth. And that was probably one of the one of the reasons I was so quiet when I first moved into that clubhouse was because I saw him just, you know, verbally dressed down guys left and right <laughs> who uh, who thought they had comebacks. And I'm going, okay, if, I, if I'm going to pipe up and say something, I better be damn well prepared to either have a, a you know, a backup comment or be on my toes for whatever he was going to bring at me. And it, it you know, he he could be a little harsh at times, but at the same time, I, you know, like Baggy was saying, you know, when, when veterans say stuff, they're, they're trying to get you to think a little bit and get you to move forward with your career. But it's also a little bit of a test to try and see the personality of a guy yeah. in a clubhouse on how they're going to adjust yep. to the game that's going on. Uh, you know, because it's not warfare, but at the same time, you got to know that you can trust and rely on these guys in the clubhouse. So that's how you kind of sent feelers out. But the, the best story, I mean, and Grant, you know, you talk about how humble Baggy is. He's probably one of the more humble guys I've ever met in my life. But also, Brad Osmus had a very good understanding that as intelligent, uh, witty as he was, he also understand, understood that he was not the best player on the field. Right. And uh, there was a year, it might have been 2003, I was playing a little more regular, and uh, I'm not sure if I was hitting in front. I think I was sitting in front of him a couple times, and he kept hitting into double plays, and he comes back, and, he, and he's yelling at me and I'm going and I'm like hey man I go, I'm like why is this guy yelling at me I'm like dude and finally I go Brad I go what the hell is your problem man he goes I wouldn't be hitting to so many double plays if you'd stop getting on base <laughs> and, I, and he locked me up and he walked away and I was just like you know that was pretty much how Brad handled things but it was a lot of fun to be around those guys I learned a lot can I just tell one Brad off this for of course yeah so he's he snaps all the time when he gets makes out so <laughs> One day we're in the dugout and he makes an out and I'm sitting, for some reason I'm sitting down where he puts his catcher's gear and he's slamming stuff all around. And I look straight at him and I said, dude, what's wrong with you? He goes, I freaking stuck. I hate freaking hitting and all that stuff. I said, dude, why are you getting mad? You were never any good to get mad. <laughs> like there's no reason for you to get mad. Like you didn't have a, a reign of success at any point. There's no reason to get mad. And That's what I tell Blummer in golf. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be upset because I suck. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the best part, man. You talk about the, the clubhouse. And when I look back on, on my career, I think a lot too. And they're just little snippets of 15 and 20 minutes. But it's the, the bus rides from the airport oh, to the hotel or the ballpark to the, to, the, to the plane or whatever it is. But those bus rides, man, could they always get vicious. <laughs> yeah, Casey Candell used to take the microphone from the bus driver and just undress everybody. And he's the only guy that could get away with it because he's five foot seven. And Ken Caminiti wanted to literally kill him every single time he got off the bus. <laughs> but he never would because he knew he would kill him. 
we had this one salty guy when I was with Detroit. His name was Bobby Higginson, and uh, he never mm-hmm. talked to the young guys, never talked to them. And uh, uh, we would interview some of the, the younger players on the microphone and the buses sometimes. We had this one kid up there one time and said, you know, past or present, wh- which player would you have gotten to, uh, would you have loved to gotten to, to meet? And some guys were saying Babe Ruth, some, some guys were saying Hank Aaron, whatever it was. And this guy said Bobby Higginson because he still hasn't met him yet. <laughs> That's like ranking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've talked about, uh, you know, going into a major league clubhouse and being themselves. Guys are going in and being quiet back in our day. But I think the Astros and AJ kind of understood this is that a lot of the talent, uh, you know, with, with Correa and Springer and, and those guys coming in. Uh, for them to be able to be themselves when they first got into the clubhouse, this team was going to be able to turn it around a lot quicker. What have you guys seen in that realm and, and, and how things have changed in baseball that way? Um, well, I mean, the game has changed. Though. You know, when we talk about, like, when Blummy talks about, you know, being invited in with us and all that kind of stuff and yeah. me talking about Casey Kandel and learning how to be a professional and all that. I mean, when you, when you were in the clubhouse – when I was in the clubhouse, it was about more, it was a business kind of, you know, it was, you had your fun time up till seven Oh five. And after 10 Oh five, it was fun time again, but we were there to win. You know, we didn't have the bad flips. We didn't have all that kind of stuff. The millennials nowadays, they're a different bunch of characters. And I don't mean that in a bad way. They just, you know, they believe they belong there. Um, and, it's fine and, and they interact and you need a manager that will be able to let guys express their personalities and also still focus on winning. And I think you're talking about this team now, right? Yes. Yes. And I, yeah. yes. And our young guys have been very fortunate that when they first came up, we were a great team. You know, we, like when I came up, we struggled at, you know, we, we lost 72 games or something like that. I think Blumming in 2002 and three, we didn't win many games either. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a different era that they have now. It's okay. You know, that's the way, I mean, would I like to go back a little bit with some, to mix in some of what we did and what they have, of course, but you need a manager that can be able to do that. And you need guys in the clubhouse to make it, to make that work. And that's what I think our guys have done where it's, it's a fun atmosphere, uh, win, lose or draw they're still having fun. They kind of forget about what happened last night and they come back the next day and, I've never seen a clubhouse uh, in the last three years um, of when I walk in um, that I look around and I there's not one kid that I dislike. And that is a very, very tough thing to find. I don't think that's a coincidence of why we've been so successful. You see a big difference, Blummer, don't you? Yeah, it's much more inclusive. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm not sure if it came through in what I was saying earlier, but you kind of had to earn the right to be asked yeah. to sit down with some of these guys. And, uh, you know, some of the veterans were a little tentative getting in, in, in touch with some of the younger players because they didn't know how long they were going to stick around kind of thing. So nowadays it's much more inclusive, but at the same time, and I think Baggy kind of nailed it with these guys that are getting called up, is the veterans on this team understand winning and they understand that it's going to take, you know, the entire 40-man roster to go out there and try and win a championship every season. So yeah. I think when they do get guys on this roster, they want them to be, feel like they are a part of the team, not, you know, the, you know, 
Jack Mayfield's going to come up. And, and, you know, Alex Bregman said, no, he's an Astro. Quit asking him what it feels like to be a replacement guy. He yeah. goes, he's an Astro. He's in the lineup. He's on the roster. So I think that's how they've kind of created that culture. But at the same time, when you get called up to the Astros right now, what's the expectation? It's to go out there and do everything you possibly can to win. And I think mm -hmm. that's how you generate some inclusivity is understanding that you're out there to win. Yeah, good point. You know, in our downtime right now with the coronavirus, if, if you've had your mind wander and start to think about some of the other people in baseball. Yeah, well, I mean, this whole thing is, it's not, this is a humanity problem we have um, uh, where you have to do what you just said. This is where you can't think about yourself all the time. You have to think about others. And, and that's, that's a great thing. And I think Houston itself has done a great job. They did a great job in Harvey. I see what people are doing now. You do have to think about the other people. And that's the humanity part about this that, Hopefully this lifts up and then not only just the United States, but the entire world to have some compassion. Again, you know, Baggy, you know, kind of condenses things and takes it outside of what uh, what what is about him or his family. And it, I agree in the sense that it does kind of expand and maybe broaden our thought process a little bit that even though we're cooped up inside of our own house and dealing with our own issues, that there is an entire world outside the walls we're staring at right now that are going to be highly affected by all of this. And I hope that everybody inside of baseball, like Baggy's saying, some of the players, ownership and owners around the league kind of look within and go, oh my gosh, it takes a lot more than these players, a lot more than a TV crew to put these games on and have the fun that we do in playing this great yes. game of baseball. The support network around this, you know, around the game of baseball is incredible. And those are the, going to be the ones that are hurting because not only did they enjoy the job they were doing, they were taking this as a second or third job that they needed to, to help their family get by, but it was also something they enjoyed. So not only are you taking the enjoyment away you're taking about away the prosperity and I think that's a big issue and I can't remember where I heard it but throughout this whole process and hearing about some of these companies you know and some of these people and you know being in TV now I understand a little bit more what branding means and what marketing means and right now you know in this time of crisis you're gonna find out what truly what these brands are or what you want your brand to be do you want to be the one that is all-inclusive and helps everybody yeah. or do you want to be the one that shuts the doors and just hunkers down inside with yourself because i think that's going to expose a lot during these times of uh, yeah. uh of trial that's good stuff that's so you feel a sense of pride when you see guys like correa and bregman and those guys stepping up to to help people yep. don't you i, I want to hey. jump in on this if you don't mind baggy because i agree Sorry. with sparky and I know that you and I, all three of us, have actually felt that Correa is an MVP-type talent, but he yeah. has turned a corner this season. Ooh, Between the ooh. crisis of the Stein-stealing and yep. now with the coronavirus, this guy has become a different animal off the field, and I like it. How about you, Baggy? Unbelievable. I mean, I was down there before we had that press conference, and I listened to him the night before. I listened to him during it. I listened to him when he defended his owner and his teammate. I mean, that's what leadership is all about. And, you know, hey, man, leadership is not something that you can just teach somebody. You either have it yeah. or you don't. But I think Correa is finally getting into the, the point of, you know, he's 25 years old. You know, it's not that easy. You know, and he's, he's had an easy road, but he's had easy road to get there. But he's had a tough time during his – and the maturity that he has shown, like Bummy just said – I mean, I'm blown away, and and I'm blown away with the biggest smile on my face watching Me how too. he's been. Yep. Yeah, it really, it makes you feel good watching these guys grow up. Yeah. And you know, there's another player too, and he got this really early. But it's Lance. I mean, McCullers, 
I mean, it seemed like the first year he was in the big leagues, he was out in the community. He was doing stuff with the pets. But he's been doing stuff since he was 21, 22 years old. And I'm thinking, man, how do these guys know what to do, first of all? But where do they get the the inspiration to do what they've done at such an early age? And I'm just really impressed. Yeah, well, I think part of that is what we talked about earlier is when you first come up, you kind of like have to earn your spot and all that. And now you don't have to earn it as much and you can, there's no problems with going outside of the box and what you want to be as a, a brand. And I think Lance has done, but, and, you know, and I hate to go back to baseball with this, but when I watched Lance down in spring training, his attitude and his bounce on the mound, his, yep. his, and I watched how his mound presence and thing that I saw is that first day that he came back, every single one of his teammates, even the guys that weren't playing in spring training, the veteran guys, they all came to watch his first yeah. outing. That's what I love. You know what? It's because he showed them the, the work ethic. They saw yeah. what he was doing every single day in the off season exactly right. behind the scenes. And, and he was probably getting there five hours before they even got to the ballpark, getting a, a lot of his yep. work done so they could have the training tables. Yep. It was wonderful to see. I loved it. I really did. Me too. Really impressed. I, okay, I got a few other just little random topics I want to get to you guys, if you don't mind. Uh, first with you, Baggy, the 1998 team, a lot of your uh, contemporaries mm-hmm. talk about that being the best team that you guys had. That's when Randy Johnson came aboard. What was that like when he was there the last couple of months of the season? It was absolutely insanity. Um, you know, that dude, we got him, we were in Pittsburgh, um, and we got him right after 12 o'clock, just kind of like Justin. Um, we had a day game the next day. He pitched it. And so here comes this six foot ten guy out, long hair, and he walks out of the dugout and turns around and looks at us and goes, let's go, And he, with the other words involved. And I'm like, <laughs> damn. And he just, he just straight <laughs> domination, man. It was yeah. the most unbelievable thing. And that team, I remember going to the playoffs, and we were, we were going on the bus to – I think it was San Diego for game three and I'm sitting on the back of the bus where I always sit and I'm looking down the aisle and I'm like, damn, this is a freaking great team. And of course we got beat, but still it was, it was a great team. It was a great team. Okay. Uh, you guys, first impressions of Dusty Baker, you know, you, you both saw him in spring training. What was your, what was your takeaway there? I, you know, I was down there briefly. My schedule's a little bit different than Baggies and uh, yours, Sparky, as far as being down there and being around those guys. But I was just excited in the sense that uh, I had grown up watching the National League West with the Dodgers, Padres, Astros, Reds, you know, Braves, and in watching Dusty as a young, uh, you know, r- young player watching the Dodgers. I appreciated the teams he was on. I appreciated how he played. And then watching what he did in San Francisco with the Giants, dealing with Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds going out there in 2002 and coming so close to winning a World Series championship with them. And then obviously as a player playing against him in, inside the National League Central when he was with the Cubs and Cincinnati Reds, I got to know him a little bit just on the field presence. But now getting a chance to meet him as a person, I, I like him even more because you have an idea of what a guy is and on watching how his players react to him and watching how his teams play 
and they were always a tough battle. And then you get to see him on this side, and it's just been an absolute joy. The guy's got stories for days. He's been through every experience, I think, that has been imagined. And now he's having a new one thrown at him with the sign-stealing uh, issue that they've got going on, the coronavirus, and the season starting late. So... I think he is well prepared in a lot of different ways, but at the same time, being selfish, I just think he's a great guy to be around, and I love hearing the stories, and I love the fact that every time I ask a question, he's got an answer for me. He's been a blast for me. Yeah, yeah I um, I can't think of a better person to come manage this team after AJ. Um, obviously, losing AJ was a tremendous loss. But if they're going to pick someone I knew from the beginning, that would be the guy that I would want it. Um, I'll tell you two quick things about him. So in 2000, um, I didn't figure the Astros were going to pay me. Um, so I had I was just thinking to myself of where I could go if the Astros wouldn't pay me. So I said, okay, Boston needs a first baseman at the time so I could go back to Boston. The only other place I was going to go was to San Francisco for one reason, to play for Dusty. Is that right? That's how, that's how much I respected that guy. And wow. being around him now – like Blummy said, he he can, he's got so many stories. A media person can ask him a question. He could start quoting Martin Luther King, BB King, Hank Aaron. <laughs> I mean, he's got he's got more stuff going on. He's been in the game fifty years. He's seen it all. He's been through Barry Bonds and his stuff with Jeff Kent and Barry Sammy Sosa and his stuff. He's seen it all. And there, there's not a better calming person for our organization than Dustin. You know, I don't know if I'm looking too much into this, but. Uh... The Astros this spring were playing in Jupiter, and it was only 10 miles from the Astros complex, but it was a three-and-a-half-hour drive for a couple of Dusty's old players, Robbie Thompson and Kurt Manwaring, who made it a point mm. to come to the game, stand around the batting cage during batting practice, and just have some encouraging words for a couple of his players just to support their old manager. And that told me a ton. What, what about you guys? You know, Dusty, he, he talks about other players, and he said, yeah, I was talking to his wife, and he talks, he knows the whole family. He knows what people are going through. He gets involved in their lives because he cares. He's a human being first. And Dusty has got such a, a way about him that he, he, people gravitate towards him because he's just, fun, his little smirk that he gives, his toothpick and all that kind of stuff, the way he dresses, there's just something about him that people gravitate. And when you see ex-players coming to see guys, that tells you, like you said, Sparky, a ton about yeah. people. Yeah. Well, I think it all circles back to the conversation we had earlier on Baggy saying what he missed most about the game. And it's the, yeah. the guys, the camaraderie, the conversations. And if you don't create that foundation as a player and you become a manager, you're not going to have those guys hanging around. So I think it kind of gives you an idea of Dusty as yeah. a as a player, as a teammate, as a clubhouse leader, and now a, a, a traditional leader in the sense that he's a great manager having those guys come back. Well, right. we all love baseball, right? And I think when we talk about those conversations that we miss is because we always like to learn more about baseball and it's just never ending is it no you don't let me tell you something tell me find me the guy that knows everything about baseball i'd like to meet him auspice um, yeah <laughs> and you could look at his back of his baseball card oh you man that, knew that was coming <laughs> uh we're, we're kidding about that for sure i mean uh no, but it is man we we just always we always like to learn baggy uh and I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. When I watch you have conversations and being a, a Hall of Famer and still as humble as you are around those guys, I know it means the world to them, but uh, it just does my heart good, too, to see the way you interact with these uh, current Astros guys. Well, I mean, I appreciate that, Sparky. But, you know, 
my job is not to come in there. And, and Blummy knows I talk about it's not just in front of the guys. I talk to Blummy about this too. And you too, Sparky. I mean, yep. I, I don't sit there and go, oh man, this is how I hit this homer. No, I don't say that. I said, hey man, I was 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and somehow I got a walk and we scored a run. You know what I mean? I did something to help our club. So I'm trying to yep. give them a negative to turn into a positive and how different ways that I thought to get out of stuff. Um, because at the end of the day, man, this game is all mental, especially when you talk about hitting, you got it. Like George Springer is the epitome of that. The yeah. guy, I remember, Blummy, I don't know if you remember the game. Sparky, remember the game. We're in Kansas city and we were, I don't know. We were struggling a little bit. He strikes out the first three times. He hits a three run homer in the eighth yeah. inning to win it for yeah. us or the ninth inning. You know, that's what George can do. That's why you'd never give up. And there, you know, if you're a swinging bat is always a dangerous at bat. And that's what I try and work with our guys is the mental part of the game. How can we do something, even if we're not at our best, how can we do something to win the ball game? And that's all I try and help the guys. It's not what I've done in my career, because you know what? As much as you can look at the parts of my, you can look at also the 15, 1500 strikeouts I had too. So I, I get the disappointment in this game and it's not an easy game. And I, nobody, I, even when I'm in, sitting there next to blowing, I don't ever forget how hard it is. Well, I don't know. I don't know how we uh, wrap up uh, these astro astropods, these podcasts. Uh, I'm not a pro at this, but I will say that this was a very enjoyable conversation. And uh, thank you both for joining us. Baggy, thanks for making the time to come on with us, man. Of course, brother. Anytime. We miss doing what we love to do. Hang in there. If you have questions or comments for any of us, go to radio at astros.com or just tweet us at Astros Radio. We miss doing what we love. Hang in there. Special thank you to Matt Boltz, our engineer, uh, the Hall of Famer, Jeff Bagwell, and of course, Jeff Blum. Blummer, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate that. I miss being on a bus with you or a plane, and uh, someday <laughs> soon we'll have to get back together. But it's a good being on with you and uh, being able to talk baseball with Jeff Bagwell. You too. Steve Sparks, and we'll talk again on Astropod real soon. Houston, we know these are uncertain and unprecedented times, but we will get through this. We will get through this together. Together. It is important that we all take the necessary steps to ensure safety of our loved ones and our community. You're the best fans in baseball. The best. And we love you. We love you. Baseball will be back. And we cannot wait to see you. Stay safe, Houston. For the H. It's for the H.